Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director, director at B. Riley Financial. I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals, and this is the show where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. You know, they say that people don't quit their, their jobs, they quit their bosses, and uh, there's a lot of different, we'll call them archetypes for bosses, and we're going to be discussing that today with my guest, Vicki Oliver, who's the author of six books about career enhancement, including Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and other office idiots. Uh, Vicki, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to jump in here. But before we do, just tell the audience a little bit about you. Absolutely. Hi, everyone. My name is Vicki Oliver. I uh, used to be in the advertising business. And when I was there, I would be interviewing people to come on board, and they wouldn't know anything about me. They wouldn't know about me, the ad agency, our clients. And about 100,000 times, I thought to myself, I'm going to have to write about this experience. And one day, I did. I wrote about job hunting, and it led to my first book, and that led to the others. That's awesome. Well, I want to jump right in because the title is fascinating. Everybody who's out there watching and listening has uh, had a bad boss, a crazy coworker, and certainly experienced other office idiots. But I want to start with um, the bosses from hell portion of the book, if you don't mind. And read recently that uh, there seems to be a little bit of a lack of trust emerging around remote employees where tracking software is being installed on people's computers to monitor their keystrokes and that they're available. So Big Sister, Big Brother is watching. Your chapter is called Big Sister is Watching You. Talk about that. Absolutely. So when uh, Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and Other Office Idiots was published, Big Sister, to me, was the type of boss that would kind of walk in all the time, try to see what was on your computer, try to read your to-do list, and sort of monitor and check you. And I feel like this is really true today when people are at home working and their bosses are still trying to monitor them, even though they're not physically in the office, perhaps, they're still trying to monitor them through tracking software. And this is, you know, one of the reasons I believe that people actually hate their boss because their bosses just don't trust them. And I think that's terrible. You know, how can you get the best work out of your people if you don't actually trust them? Yeah, 100%. You've got to start with trust. Um, there's another archetype for a boss that you talk about called the Wizard of Oz. The, the <laughs> yes, absolute, exactly. The, the so again, when the book was published, the Wizard of Oz, and I had several of them in my life in advertising, was the person, a boss who was never there. Now, sometimes there were great reasons why the boss wasn't around. Uh, maybe there were three or four offices that he or she had to manage. And he might be between like Philadelphia and New York, you know, this type of thing. So the boss wasn't there. Why was that a problem? Well, sometimes you have to get approval from that person. And then if you can't reach them, if they don't reply to phone calls and emails, if you reach out to their assistant and, you know, they're just, they're invisible and work would just stop as we waited for approval from this, you know, invisible person. But today, we're, we are all, I think, Wizard of Oz's in a sense, because if we're working from home, there's a lot of uh, times when we may not be as accountable as we should be. So, you know, in the hybrid model, I mean, it's our responsibility for workers to be, re to be responsible. And it's also, I think, boss's responsibility to trust us to be so. 
So we hit on trust on, on both of those archetypes. So I want to take this conversation just a little bit off the track of the book, but tangentially to talk about the great resignation. Um, and let me get to your perspective, Vicki. Why do you suppose that happened? Okay, so the pandemic swooped in, right, like a monster. And it came, it was a surprise, and it took people out of their rhythms, and offices had to close, you know, and people could not physically go to the workplace because they would be in danger. And so, you know, experts talk about how long it takes to develop a habit, right? It might take six weeks to develop a habit. But we were all collectively shaken out of our work habits for two and a half years. So for two and a half years, you know, we did not have to go to work every day physically in the office. We did not have to commute. We did not have to deal with big sister looking at us at our monitors until recently we did not have to deal with the whole office politics water cooler situation for two and a half years that's a huge shift and instead we kind of got used to working from our home offices dealing with our kids our dogs our spouses our significant others our friends the phone ringing all these interruptions minor interruptions throughout the day right and I believe during that time with no commute and some of the heinous aspects of being, you know, under the microscope every day removed, we all had a chance to collectively think, how much do I like this job? Do I believe in the mission? Do I believe in what my bosses believe in? Do I even know what the mission of the place is, you know, or am I basically, you know, an accelerated pencil pusher? And I feel like we had a chance to really think. It was like sort of a deep philosophical think about where we are. And a lot of people said, you know what? I hate this job. I hate these people because they don't care about me. They don't trust me. I don't trust them. I don't like it here. And so there was like this massive, massive quit. And everybody just quit their jobs. Like 4.3 million people, to be precise, quit their jobs during the Great Resignation. And, you know, some people came back and some people call it like the great reshuffle because some people just got other jobs. But a lot of people just said, you know what, I can live without like this crappy salary and these horrible people looking over my shoulder and not trusting me. I can live without it. And that's what happened. And now I'm talking to business leaders every day and asking them, frankly, what's their return to office plan? And it feels like most offices are trying to get back into some sort of a cadence back into office, you know, to reestablish the culture and the teamwork and the camaraderie that's supposed to exist. And it feels like it's a three-day hybrid kind of a thing. Why don't people want to go back into the office, Vicki? I think it's because of those reasons that I just mentioned. You know, there's... When you're in an office, people are watching you at all times. You get off the elevator, you walk in the hallway, maybe you don't say good morning properly, maybe you don't kiss the right butt, you know, uh, maybe you're in a bad mood or maybe worse, your boss is in a terrible mood and people are always watching you and thinking and commenting about you and other people. There's like the whole gossip mill too. And it's not just doing your job. You know what I mean? It's not just the task, 
let's say you are in advertising like I used to be, you know, we wrote ads. It's not just that. It's not about how good you are. It's also about how well you play the game. Do you smile at the right people? Do you hold the elevator for the right person? And people don't like that. Just people don't like that. Especially, you know, younger people really don't like it. Um, they're good at what they do and they don't want to be watched all the time. And I think that's the resistance that a lot of employees have about going back to work. They're like, you know what? I was productive like during the pandemic. There were all these studies that said productivity increased during the pandemic. I was productive. I don't want to go back under the microscope, you know? Why can't you just give me a little bit of rope and let me do my job? You know, why do you have to watch me do my job? That I think is the reason that people don't want to go back. The workers don't want to go back. Now, I live in Manhattan and here, you know, the great resignation has really hurt a lot of things because, you know, people are not going back to the office five days a week. Right. It's like a hybrid model. Sometimes they're all back three days. Sometimes the three days are the same. Sometimes they're not. It's very mixed over here. And that impacts a lot of the businesses, you know, that depend on all those workers going to the office every day. So there's a lot of disruption here in New York City where I live as a result of it. Yeah, Vicki, for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you, how they can connect with you, where they can get your books, what's the best way to do that? Oh, thank you so much. My name is Vicki Oliver. Very easy to spell, V-I-C-K-Y. Oliver. My website is VickiOliver.com. My books are available on Amazon and in other places where books are sold. And there's also a lot of information on the website in general. There are articles. There's lots and lots of stuff there, radio interviews, etc., cetera, uh, that can be helpful, I think. Yeah, a lot of good content there. Be sure to check it out. Vicki, don't go anywhere. We're going to have to take a quick commercial break here. Uh, you watching and listening, sit tight. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. Aloha, Joe Silva here with Kakua Technologies. I'm excited to see you on Tuesdays on Morning Coffee for our tech tips. get a bad rap. I'm Erin Bruschi, host of Legal Breakdown, where we dissect legal topics for the everyday viewer with a mix of interesting guests to talk about current events and hot legal topics. Let's work together to make the law accessible and relevant to everyone. Catch us every week on RVN Television. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we are talking with Vicki Oliver, who is the author of Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and Other Office Idiots, and five other books. Vicki, I want to pick up where we uh, started with the program and talk about some more archetypes of bad bosses. Uh, one that I thought was interesting we can talk about would be the insatiable narcissist. Okay. So according to research... Narcissists consist of 2% of the population, and it doesn't sound like very much, like maybe you say, oh, 2%, but the fact is they tend to gravitate to positions of authority. 
So actually, there are a lot of narcissistic bosses. And the thing about a narcissistic boss, in the beginning, the narcissist just cares about what you think about them. All right? So in the beginning of the relationship with a narcissistic boss, it seems to go pretty well because it seems like they are seeking your approval. But then once that approval is established, it quickly turns and then the narcissistic boss is really only interested in how everything that you do impacts them, how it looks to them. So I wouldn't look to a narcissistic boss to defend your work or to defend you, to stick up for you in any kind of an altercation. They're not going to do that. They only care about themselves. That's what the narcissistic boss is. And that's different from the credit snatching boss. Well, a credit snatcher is, um, in my opinion, like credit trickles up, okay? So if you go into an office and you say to yourself, I am going to make my boss look good, that is actually the correct opinion to have because your work will credit up to the boss. The problem with a credit snatching boss is that they don't give you any credit whatsoever. Let's say you come up with this brilliant idea, you know, on how to pitch a new business and then you win the business based on your idea. They're not going to single you out. They're not going to say, oh, thank you, Vicky, for coming up with that fantastic idea. When they are patted on the back, by somebody for the idea. They're just going to sit there and accept it. That's the problem with a credit snatching boss. It's a very particular type of thing. And it's difficult because actually you're there to solve problems. You are there to, to, you know, shine light on your boss. So it can be a problem. It can be a problem. I mean, when it comes around to raises and promotions, like you might not get one if you have a credit snatching boss, you know, your boss keeps getting raises and promotions, but you don't. That's the problem. Gotcha. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what is the key to getting along with all of these different boss archetypes? Right. Okay. So I designed bad bosses, crazy coworkers, and other office idiots like a thesaurus where you could look up the terrible type of boss that you had and then figure out how to solve that problem, then put the book away <laughs> until the next person came, you know, who drives you crazy. So the secret, I think, of getting along with bosses, and probably most people in general, is to not take things so personally. Let things bounce off you. Realize sometimes that it's their problem, not your problem. If you were in an elevator with a guy and he doesn't say hello to you, that's his problem, not your problem. You know, if you do a magnificent job on a presentation and you're not thanked, that's your boss's problem. You know, maybe that guy had a fight with his wife that morning or whatever the problem is. It's his problem, not your problem. And so if you can keep saying that to yourself, it's their problem, not my problem. And you pat yourself on the back, you know, and you try to be flexible and you realize you're not always going to be rewarded for every fantastic idea that you have. OK, but if over time you are more often rewarded than not and you can reward yourself by saying, I did a fantastic job. I was really good at this. If you can just be emotionally intelligent that way, 
and not take everything so personally, you will do better. Also, I mean, my research shows that if you can stay at a place, often you will do better just over time if you can stick with where you are. Like, don't just leave the first argument you have with your boss, you know? Sometimes if you stick it out, that person will leave. You know, and now you're in a more senior position and then you can be promoted. Great advice. So, Vicki, curious, has anyone ever reached out to you and said, hey, I read your book and I was that boss? (laughs) No, nobody ever reached out to me and said that. However, however, there is a third section in the back of the book that says, what if you are the problem? Okay. And that is a little bit of self-diagnosis for people to think, am I actually the type of person who monitors my employees when they don't need it? You know, am I out of commission when they need me the most? Like for you to diagnose if you are that type of personality that's contributing to the problem. Yeah. Vicki, for anybody who wants to get in touch with you or wants to get copies of your books, where can they do that? Well, my copies of my books are available on Amazon. My website is Vicky, V-I-C-K-Y, Oliver.com. And you can get in touch with me through the website. There's a lot of information there. And you can find my email easily and reach out to me with any questions that you have. Yeah. And, and in the spirit of it might be you, if uh, you're watching and listening and any of this resonates and you're thinking, hey, I've, I've been guilty of doing that. Think about what that behavior does, what the impact is on morale and engagement, retention and turnover and all that other stuff. Uh, Vicki, in the time we have left here, I want to make sure we cover as many of these archetypes as we can. And the next one I wanted to just ask you about is the inherited boss. Talk about that. Okay. Sometimes the inherited boss is a giant problem because... A boss comes in, he doesn't know you. I'm just saying he, but you know, I'm saying he, she, they, you know, a boss comes in, right? They don't know you. They do know a lot of other people from their last place of employment. And many times that person has been given a mandate to bring in their own people. And this is a huge issue. And just let me say from my own experience, do not sit around when you have a new inherited boss, okay? It is your job to get in there, present yourself in the best possible way, show the work that you've been doing, okay? Bring that person in. Don't shut them out because you're on a quick timeline here, okay? Maybe you have a month or two where you have to impress that person and then that person is going to decide about your future at the company. Inherited bosses are incredibly dangerous, and it is your job to persuade them that they need you. So try to become the the go-to person for the inherited boss, and then you will keep your job. Yeah, great advice, especially for those who are going through any kind of organizational change, restructuring, merger, acquisition. Uh, Vicki, I hear a lot from folks that they feel that their bosses are bullies. How do we deal with the bully? How do we identify the bully? I think it's probably pretty transparent, but... You wrote the book. I'm going to let you answer the question. Okay. So the first thing is that bullies, many of them were childhood bullies in the playground. They're used to bullying people and the bullying got them to where they are. All right. So it's so tempting to think sometimes, 
oh, top management doesn't realize that this person is a bully. That's not true, you know? The person got to where he or she is because they bullied, all right? They were able to solve problems at a certain level. And they're used to sort of a jocular, joking, aggressive mode of behavior, all right? And it can be particularly intimidating, I think, if you're female and you're working for a male bully. It can be very intimidating, but regardless, it's always intimidating. It's always a bit intimidating. Suddenly, that person has his or her sights on you. Maybe they are, like, screaming at you in the hallway, telling you you're dumb, you know, in the hallway, very loudly so everybody can hear, you know, your humiliation, you know, you're being publicly humiliated in front of your colleagues with this person. That said, I think the worst thing you can do is yell back in the heat of the moment. That is a mistake. Don't ever do that because the bully is used, he, he or she wants you to do that, okay? So if you do that, you're just falling into the bully's trap. What you want to do, I think, is better is wait for a calm moment, ask to speak to the bully behind closed doors in his or her office, tell that person that you feel like you're being personally singled out, you don't understand it, you feel bullied. The bully will often have no idea, by the way, that he or she is actually doing that. So I think it's imperative for you to be able to point to specific times, dates, times, when this happened, in the hallway, in your office, in his office, and go through it in the calmest possible way and say that you feel like you're being bullied. All that said, I would not immediately go to human resources. A lot of times, if you go to human resources with these issues, it becomes worse. Now there are five people who are monitoring your behavior, you know, as well as your bosses. In a confrontation between you and your boss, your boss will probably win. You know, seniority often will win, regardless of the truth of the situation. So I think it's better to have a long-term strategy. I mean, I would write down the dates, the times, uh, what was said, when you felt bullied, who was there. I would write them down, but I wouldn't really do anything with that until the moment when you have to. Okay, there'll be a moment when you must, then you'll have the ammunition that you need. Interesting. Vicki, we have about three minutes to go here, and I want to sneak in one more archetype just uh, because I, I need to do that here. I want to understand the spin doctor. Um, everything's rosy. Talk about the spin doctor, boss. Okay. So information is currency, basically, in all companies. Who has the information? And Spin doctors realize that there's often a timing aspect to when terrible information must be released. Often a spin doctor will hold on to bad information for a very long time until they must say the truth. So let's say you go to a meeting with a potential client, right? You and the spin doctor go, right? The meeting is horrible, right? You come back. All right, the clients just sat there and wrote notes the whole time, never had eye contact, didn't even thank you guys for coming. Let's just pretend, right? The spin doctor comes back and says, oh, the meeting was fabulous. You know, they were so excited about this. This is wonderful, wonderful. The spin doctor delays saying bad news until the absolute moment when he or she must say the news. This can be very detrimental 
you know, detrimental to the way you're servicing your vendors, your clients. It's, it's, it's just being the opposite of transparent. And it's very, very bad. But a lot of people do it because they want to avoid the anger, potentially, of their bosses and their constituents. So they withhold the information as long as they possibly can. It's, it's, it's really a problem. If you're directly reporting to the spin doctor, it's even more problematical because there's not all that much you can do about it. You don't want to out the person, right? Because then you're like just going flash against your boss. But again, I would try with this. If you have a spin doctor who is a boss, I would try to get other people to come with you into the meetings. Maybe you can have an assistant take minutes during the meetings and so there's a record of what's actually happening besides what he or she says. Vicki, that's great stuff. Unfortunately, we are out of time here. I wish I could continue this conversation for another half hour or more. Lord knows I've got enough notes to do so, but uh, they're, they're telling me it's time to wrap here. So, uh, Vicki, thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We've been talking with Vicki Oliver, who's the author of Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers and Other Office Idiots and five other books. Be sure to check them out on Amazon. And my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Please do reach out. I'm always happy to have a conversation. And thank you at home for watching and listening. Really appreciate your participation in the program. Hit the subscribe button. Keep sending those notes. We certainly appreciate it here. That's all for today, folks. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. 